Look at this. So come down with me, he said, in verse 4, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned into fables. And then he says, our, our verse for today, but watch thou in all things, that's one, endure afflictions, that's two, do the work of an evangelist, that's three, make full proof of thy ministry, and that's four. Now in your Bible, there's some phrases. One of it, Paul uses, is a minister. A minister of the gospel. A minister of Jesus Christ. We, we ought to be ministers. And all the stuff that the world has done or religion has done to change that, just ignore it. Because it is a good thing to be considered someone who's a minister by the Bible standard. Paul called himself a minister. He called Timothy a minister. He called Titus. He called Tychius ministers. And rather than take up the time running the reference, just keep it in your mind. He called him that. Another term in your Bible is man of God. Now, man of God is not like religion takes a priest, you know, and says, oh, he's right, no matter how much he drinks. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Or how, how dishonest he is. Or how superstitious he is. No, he's not right just because of that. But the Bible uses that word, man of God. And it uses it in the right way. Amen. What we've got to understand is, is that he told Timothy to be a man of God. Maybe a good way for you to picture it is be God's man. A man of God is someone that people can look at you and not go, oh, they're smart. Or they dress a certain way. Or they do certain things everybody expects. But there's something about you that they go, that person knows God. And it's not how smart you are. Thank God it's not how you look. Amen. (laughs) So when we think about it, it is right for us to want to be men of God. Now, not that the world would say that. And we don't go around and say, call me man of God, please. (laughs) Okay. We don't wear a badge that says elder, you know, and travel around the world trying to make more proselytes. We don't do that like the Latter-day Saints. But we are all about finding more people that will receive Jesus Christ. We are all about training them to know Christ so they can know what it is to enjoy what we sing about, what we sang about today, what we sang about last night and yesterday. So I want to look at these four words, these four expressions, please. And I want to leave four parts of being a pastor, four parts of being a man of God. And and this is, it starts in your home. Okay, everybody's making sure who, who had exactly the right home, okay? <laughs> the right wife, and singular, <laughs> okay? Just one. <laughs> All these things are part of a home also. So please look at me at verse 5 real quickly. But watch thou in all things. Would you make a note, write down whatever the word shepherd of all the things, I've got four words. I'll give them to you ahead of time. There's a shepherd in this verse. There's a soldier in this verse. There's a soul winner in this verse. And there's a steward in this verse. Okay? The first one is a shepherd. We could be here for, literally for several days with, without me running out of things to say to you that has to do with shepherds. I've spent a great deal of my adult life since I come to Christ studying what it is, what would it be to be one of God's shepherds. Because as a pastor, we're an under-shepherd for God Almighty. 
Uh, there's another illustration that you can study. A fellow named Philip Keller wrote a good book on it, on a true sheepdog. But a sheepdog can do the work of five men out in a field. And let me say a couple things quickly that I, I know to be so about sheep. Okay? You cannot treat sheep like any other animal on the face of the earth. If you're not wanting that sheep's wool, the only other thing you want is its meat. If you, if you get it for its meat, you get that one time. That's it. One time. But if you want to care for a sheep and get its wool every year, how that sheep is treated directly affects their wool at the end of the year. For example, I've been to the shearing sheds in Australia and they'll shear those sheep. They'll take it and they'll throw it on a table. And there's a fellow there that it's his job to decide how good the wool is. And he'll take that wool and he'll put it between his fingers and he'll pop it. Wherever it breaks along that strand of wool, in the last 12 months at that point is where that sheep had disease or it had distress or it went through a drought and those kind of things. It affects them. Now, I've seen some amazing dogs that could work cattle. I grew up with horses and then went into cattle and I, I cowboying and stuff. Didn't make any money doing it, but I got plenty good beat up, okay? <laughs> Broken steers and cattle and bulls. And I've had some dogs that would, could, man, they would come up behind a bull or a cow and nip at them. They're called blue healers in Australia. And they'd grab them and they'd make those cattle go where you wanted them. If you did that to a sheep, their wool would be useless. So their fruit would be useless. Well, let's sink in a minute. How we treat the sheep will affect how much fruit God gets from them. Now, I'm not talking about treating them, you know, and coddling them like the pastor was saying, you know, and, and just baby them. I'm not talking about that. But our mentality and our thought has to be that of a shepherd, not of a cowboy. The old black and white cowboy movies, you know, and they're cracking the whip and, and you're riding them. And I've done all that stuff. I've roped them. I have. I've roped little calves. I've roped big steers. We've roped them and put them down and medicated them and stuffed to them with our pocket knives. Done all that stuff. But you can't do that with a sheep. You will ruin it. So they have what they're called sheepdogs. They're made. They're bred. God made them for it. And that sheepdog can go along and he can move those sheep without distressing them. But if you took a cattle dog, he'd scare the life out of them. Now, shepherding includes leadership. But leadership does not define shepherding. The world studies leadership. We study shepherding. Because what God called us to do is to work with sheep. Do you know it's a, it's a commendation, it's a praise God gives you if He says you're a good sheep? Well, the world doesn't want to think that way, do they? The world wants to be, do their own thing and go their own way and be independent and all that. God says, no, be a sheep. A good sheep, though. He said, my sheep do what? Hear my voice. And they follow me. So when it comes to shepherding, it's not like the world's leadership. And it's, I believe with all my heart this real quick. I believe that God made everything with a thought ahead of time. Hear me out. I don't think the Lord was sitting up there 
and said to Gabriel one day, Gabriel, you're not going to believe this. But those sheep and those humans are a lot alike. He didn't do that. He made those sheep so that we could look at them and learn about us. Okay? It didn't just happen to God. Oh, well, look at that. Isn't that cool how that worked out, Gabriel? No. He designed it. So that's why we study it. Now, when you think about this thing, there is chosen creatures for us personally to be like. He wants us to be like sheep. So when we think about being a shepherd, here's something to note. A shepherd is a sheep. You were all sheep. All of us were sheep before we were shepherds. And if we don't keep that sheep mentality, we really can't be shepherds. Because someone had to come along and shepherd us into a Christian life, a walk, understanding the Word of God, understanding there's one Bible. Amen. A shepherd had to come along and help us understand how to walk and how to live. And then the shepherd said, I'll teach you how and help you how to pastor. So we had to be sheep first. There's a lot of people, they come to Christ or they come in the church and they just want to lead or be a shepherd, but they don't want to be a sheep. Amen. And so look what he says. Watch thou in all things. You know, that's what a sheepdog does. In places where they use these sheepdogs. I was in, I lived in Texas and worked. You know, you heard about cowboys in Texas and all that stuff. This one big college had an agricultural and a pastoral place. And they had sheep and stuff. And they had one of those big dogs that was the sheep dog. And you would drive by there in the daytime and he'd be laying down. And people said, boy, ain't that a lazy dog? Just out of curiosity, I would drive by at night. Guess what he was doing at night? He's watching in all things. You know why he's laying down in the daytime? He'd be able to tell if there's an enemy. But at night, he's walking. Around and around. You know what pastors do? Middle of the night, we wake up and we pray for somebody. God will touch you in the heart and say, man, they need your prayers right now. Sometimes, nowadays, you can text them, but sometimes you can call them. Uh, I I went one time a 24-hour drive one way into the outback to find one fella that had gotten saved and baptized. They moved himself to the end of the railroad line, which was a really smart move, right? You're really going to find a church out there. And I walked into this town and I'm trying to find him. And I said, have you all seen so-and-so? And they looked at me real strange and said, you must be his pastor. You know what I'm thinking? I don't know how much of his pastor I am. He moved to the end of the railroad line without telling me. He is a, law, he's a runaway sheep. But I went all the way out there because he's a sheep. He's a sheep. Now look, some people don't want you to help them. I get all that. And, and, and you've been taught about that. When you have to let somebody go and all that. But the idea is, he said, watch in all things. We watch our music. Amen. You have to nowadays. We watch our manners. Why do we watch our manners? We're not trying to impress nobody. Because we're supposed to be able to put the sheep at rest. Amen. (laughs) We watch our messages. You know the great shepherds are all the way... I mean, it starts with... uh, Abel, and it goes right on through your Bible. You got Abel and Abraham and Moses and David and, and, and Joseph and all his, all his things. And by the way, listen, when you study Jacob, 
just, just a little thought. When you study Jacob, God put in your King James Bible the word flock and the word flocks. Jacob's flock was made up of each of those sons' flock. So those flocks made one big flock. That's why God will take and He'll take somebody like Brother Job. We didn't talk about this message, by the way. Okay? <laughs> Almost didn't preach it because he already preached most of it in the, in the morning, but Joe said go. <laughs> so if I get in trouble, Joe's in trouble. <laughs> but by Him taking some of you and helping you, and you guys helping each other, all those flocks are intertwined. And those sheep are associated, even though they might be far apart. Watch in all things. Watch your music and your manners, your messages. Watch the people who come in. Watch the way things are going. You know, the sheep are important to the shepherd. David risked, as a lad, risked killing a lion and a bear to save one sheep. If we're not careful, we forget that as shepherds. We forget that as pastors. Well, that's just one look. Maybe you'll take it away and you'll go, you know, I'm going to study shepherding. There's so much about it. Salton. Secondly, secondly, watching all things. Secondly, endure afflictions. Now we have a hint at what this is connected to. If you look across the page in your Bible or to, to just chapter 2 to the left. And notice what he says there in verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So we're going to say this, the first word was a shepherd. We're shepherds, but we're also soldiers. Now it's easy to want to be a soldier and not a shepherd. If you come from my background, it's easier to want to do things by force. I was raised with horses and cattle, you know, and if you don't get that cow to do what it wants or that steer, especially that bull, it's either you or it. It'll hurt you or you hurt it. Amen. But not with sheep. But we've got to be soldiers. Now look, a good soldier... Of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2 there verse 2, 3. Thou therefore endure hardness. So he says endure afflictions. Brother Joe and I were talking about in, in Luke chapter 3, if you're making a note, Paul, John the Baptist is trying to help people and some people come to him, different people with different walks of life. And they come and they ask, what should I do about this and that? And the soldiers come and he tells them something unique just for them. And he looks at them and he says, uh, the soldiers likewise demanded of him saying, what shall we do? He said to them, three things, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, be content with your wages. If you've ever studied soldiering, those are the three things soldiers do. They're violent, they accuse people, and they always complain about how much money they got. (laughs) It's like worldwide, every army I've ever talked to. And he says, don't be like that soldier. Be as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I've adopted that, those letters and made up some different coins and stuff. They call them challenge coins in the military. It'll say SOJC, soldier of Jesus Christ on it. Our glory is in the cross of Jesus Christ. Our glory is not in our uniform. Our glory, listen, is not in our rank. Rank is when you have, you know, you're a sergeant or you might be a captain. You might become a, our glory is not in our rank. 
Our glory is not in how many people might come and hear us teach and preach and how many people we help. Our, how much recognition. Our glory is in the cross of Jesus Christ. God forbid, Galatians six fourteen, that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. If you have a Bible, look at 1 Corinthians 4. I think we will turn there a minute. I'm going to limit those so that we get through this expediently, but I hope you get the picture. A shepherd is one of the things we should work at, man. A soldier, a good soldier of Jesus Christ is something we should work at. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting verse 1, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. Watch. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. He that judgeth me is the Lord. Verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts and then shall every man have praise of God. Gentlemen, we cannot know what God's really doing. I don't know if you grow things or not, like little gardens or whatever. If you grow things, there's a challenge. Because to grow something, you have to bury it. That's killing it. And then you have to drown it. That's making sure it's double dead. And then you have to wait. Because if you don't wait and you go dig it up in three days to see how it's doing, you got to start all over again, don't you? Except the corner of wheat fall on the ground, Jesus said, and die and abideth alone. It's a seed laying on a shelf. But if I want that to grow up, I don't know if you've ever grown carrots. I knew a fellow who grew carrots like as a business. Now, I called it orange gold. <laughs> when it was carrot time, they would have truck after truck come in there. But I'd help them plant their little teeny tiny seeds grow up in that big old bunch of carrots. But they don't grow up if you dig them up to see how they're doing. And the, the picture is we cannot always know what God's doing. He tells us to take the prophets, James 5.10, as an example of suffering. Man, when you read the Old Testament, and I would encourage you to read it every now and then frequently and say, okay, uh, many of them weren't even named. It's okay to be a no-name pastor. Amen. It's okay if nobody knows you outside of your, your village or your town. I lived in Australia. First place I lived was so isolated, you had to go somewhere else just to get there. And, and I'm, it was in the middle of nowhere. And it was before all this stuff. I mean, you think, you think about, there's people here that you'd have a hard time getting by without your cell phone. Y'all do this. Amen. You want not to say amen, but you could nod amen. There was no cell phone. You had to, you had to schedule to make a phone call outside the country. A trunk call, they called it. You know what you got to do over there? You're on your own. You and God. And I, I got to promise you, it's not horrible at all. It's wonderful. Because you also don't have as many people distracting you and, and criticizing you on all that social media stuff and everything. Amen. And judging you. But there's one thing you got to be able to do is endure afflictions. Many times, I think we forget... 
as pastor said, we forget that if you do right, it will cost you. But it has to. It costs our Savior. The third one, look with me while we have a few minutes, is this. He said, do the work of an evangelist. That doesn't mean you have to be an evangelist. Like There are evangelists, by the way. There's pastors, evangelists, and teachers. Okay, There's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So when you look at your Bible, it doesn't mean that you're going to be the one that's always out on the road or always going around. I have a good friend that right now, he spent the last two weeks in Papua New Guinea. That's, that's down south, south of us, north of Australia. To get where he went, to that village, they had to fly to Australia. Took them a day and a half. They had to wait, and then they had to fly to Port Moresby. Then they had to fly to Kimbu. Then they had to take a helicopter because you can't get anywhere in there but by a helicopter. Took them four days to get there. And in that isolated place, they had revival services, evangelist services for 10 days. They can't, 50 people came to Christ, grown people. But you know what they had to do? Go. He lives in Houston, Texas. They got everything in Houston, Texas. They got crime, but they got everything else too. And he got up, got on a plane, went across the world. They got stuck at one of the airports for 12 hours in Port Moresby because they canceled the flights because they felt like it. But he said, do the work of man. So the third word is soul winner. Soul winner. Evangelizing people is more of a way of life. It's how we think. So I know a fella, and I mean this, this is good. I know this fella really well. And I'm telling this because of the sincerity of his heart. So <clears throat> he has a, had a habit. He and, he and the missus would go and they would get groceries a certain time every week. And they went and, and they would park in a parking lot and then they would walk to the groceries. They would get the groceries, come back. When he was walking back, he looked off in the distance by a building that was empty. And he saw someone sitting there, and it was about Christmas time, wintertime in USA, and saw, had a Santa hat on. And he's like, I need to go give them a track. They're probably homeless. And so they're living, you know, on the street. So they loaded up the groceries, and by the time he had done that stuff, he headed out, and he had to get back to work, and he forgot about it. And his conscience was just killing him. He started to turn back around. He was going to take Mrs. home and drop her off, then go back, and it wasn't going to work out. So the next week, he determined before they ever went, I am going to give. If I can find that person, I'm going to give them a track. Amen. I mean, that takes some dedication, doesn't it? Seriously. So he was determined. So they went in the grocery and stuff. They come out, they're loaded, and he almost forgot, but he looked up and he saw the same person sitting there like a look like he had a black coat or something on and that Santa hat on his head. And he just got in the car and started that way. And, and his wife said, Miss Deb said, what are you doing? And he said, I'll tell you later. I got, I've got to do this. Why? Because his heart was, I've got to give this man a gospel track. And he got over there and had his gospel track in the hand. He got out of the car, went running over there. And it was two big trash bags stacked on top of each other with a hat on top. <laughs> I don't know if I'm describing it good enough, but it was the rubbish. It was trash. There was no person. But from a distance, it looked like a person. 
You say, what is the point? Here's the point. In Joe's mind, that was Joe, by the way. Okay? In Joe's mind, and, and I, I told him, I said, that's amazing. He goes, are you going to make fun? I said, no. Think about it. His conscience was so much that somebody he didn't know, somebody that was never going to benefit him, that he considered a soul that had no hope and nobody cared. It didn't matter that... I was like, you know, wouldn't it be something you get to heaven and the Lord say, here's a little extra reward for that trash bag. And you say, oh, that's silly. It's not silly with God. Your motive and my motive matters to God more than anything. Because many people, all of us are tempted to do something because somebody sees it. Nobody was going to know he did that. I, I wrote it down. I was like, man, I'm keeping that one. Amen. But I want to encourage you real quick about being a soul winner. Now, here's what I believe about it. Brother Job might correct it. It'd be okay. You know, sometimes they say that the opinion you're about to hear is not that of the establishment. And that could be. But I think we're on the same page here. One of the things about being a soul winner is consistency and patience. Because you sow that seed, but then you've got to water it. Psalms 1 26, 6. He that goeth forth, bearing precious seed... If he does what? If he goes weeping. We, we water the seed of the Word of God with the sincerity of our tears. Amen. When somebody matters to you enough that you shed a tear over their soul, then you're getting somewhere, amen. Yes. And that's going to happen with nobody knowing it. Nobody's going to know you did that. See, that's, that's where it's safe. That's why Jesus said, go to your prayer closet. Because whatever you pray, whatever happens, it's safe because you're not doing it for somebody else to know. It's between you and God, amen. But it takes so much patience. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. But we need to be on the lookout for souls, don't we? We pass by hundreds a day sometimes. You know, you know about Brother Joe and that story? In his job and his work, he doesn't get to interact. He doesn't have one of those jobs where you're around people a lot. Some people work in, you know, people places. He doesn't get to. And he said, I was so determined since I don't get to do that, that I had this opportunity. I was going to take it. And he said, I wasn't going to let it get squeezed away from me one more time. Think about how cool that is. A soul winner. One of the things about evangelizing and being a soul winner is we should be a soul winner in our homes. Now hear me out. Not trying to make somebody make a profession of faith because it makes us look good. Not that. But because that child's soul is forever. And the most precious, closest time they'll have of coming to Christ is when they're young. That It's like ground that you put seed in. It's the softest and it's the most fertile when they're young. I've traveled the world and I've had people raise their hand and say, how many of you who are now Christians, you heard about Jesus before you were 12 years old or 15? And almost everyone at some point will raise their hand. I'm the only one most of the time that's in that room. I never heard about Him until after I was almost 19 years old. Not even heard His name except as a curse word. Never had a Bible. Never, never, we never prayed over anything. Never heard a sermon. It's a miracle. My dad got saved at 48. That's a miracle. 
But why count on miracles when we can count on the Word of God to do its work? Amen. Thank God for miracles. My granddaddy got saved. My grandfather at 73 years old. But that's not the rule. The rule is take that young heart and pour into that young heart and pray over that young heart. Protect that young heart. Thirdly, or finally, fourthly, look what he said. Make full proof of thy ministry. The word is steward. A shepherd, a soldier, okay, soul winner, and a steward. A steward is someone who's given account of something that they have to have control of, but it's not theirs. Okay? If I hand Ethan 10,000 pesos and said, here, how about go do this for me and bring me the change? It's not his money. He's a steward for me, right? Well, guess what? You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Amen? Now, I realize when you lead somebody to Christ, when I came to Christ, I didn't know that verse. Okay, so it wasn't like, did you know you were bought with a price when you came to Christ? Because if you didn't, you're not really saved. Rubbish. Right. <laughs> Absolute rubbish. But, I know now I'm bought with a price. So who's, who, who, who owns me? God. So that means I'm a steward over my very life. I'm a steward over my mind. What do I do with my brain? What do I do with my hands? What do I do with my eyes? What do I do with my ears? What do I do with my mouth? What do I do with my body? I'm a steward. We live as one who will give account. There's so many verses. We read them in 1 Corinthians 4. I've thought about this so much. One of the old reformers who was trying to fight the religious system of his day in around 1500, 1600, he said, I have too much to do each day to not pray for two hours. They asked, they asked him, why do you get up at four o'clock and pray? He said, because I have too much to do. If you have too much to do, why are you praying? <laughs> what was the point? Doesn't mean you got to pray two hours, fellas. <laughs> and you can't ask the missus to do it for you either. <laughs> and you see a guy say, now honey, now missus, dear wife, we need a couple hours of prayer every day and it's up to you. <laughs> I know guys that are kind of like that. <laughs> but I thought about Elijah. I've thought about this so many times. What happened to Elijah? So he goes out and he says, it ain't going to rain no more, no more. It ain't going to rain no more. Okay? When I was a little kid, there was a little song that I had no idea it was in the Bible. It said, it ain't going to rain no more, no more. It ain't going to rain no more. How in the heck can I wash my neck if it ain't going to rain no more? Elijah said, it ain't going to rain and God sent him to the brook for a couple of years. Do you know all Elijah did every day? He got up, drank the fresh water. Ravens bought, brought him breakfast. Raven brought him evening meal. Probably prayed and everything. He didn't do anything. Now, that doesn't mean you should go do nothing. But to be worthy with God, all he had to do was obey God. You cannot, I cannot, no one can make something grow by numbers. Someone, maybe 50 people come. Someone, maybe 30 come. We don't have much control over that sometimes. 
But what we can do is be good stewards. Stewards of our time. I thought of Joseph. You know, if you add up the years, Joseph, they sold him into slavery. How many of y'all remember Joseph? Okay. They sold him into slavery. It was 13 years. 13 years before he came out. And in a moment's time, he had stayed so close to God, in a moment's time, they said, hey, Pharaoh wants you. He shaved, washed, boom, out he went. You know what he did? He interpreted the next 14 years of the weather. They can't do that now. They're not going to get tomorrow right sometimes. <laughs> and so, he, after 13 years, he predicted 14 years of weather. Because he stayed so close to God, God said, Joseph, let me tell you what's going to happen. But then it was nine more years before he saw his brothers. It was 22 years in there that he stayed faithful. That he was a good steward. I thought about Timothy and Titus. With Timothy and Titus, he took them, Paul did. He trained them. He prayed for him. He tried to protect him. And then the day came when he had to say, okay, Timothy, you got to stay in Ephesus. Titus, you got to stay in Crete. Now, I don't know about you. If I was Timothy or Titus, I would rather hang around with Paul permanently. And we could go find somebody else to send. <laughs> hey, Paul, I think that one's a good one. Let's send him. Okay, Timothy, we'll send him. You stay here with me. Every chance Paul got, he called for Timothy. Or he called for Titus and said, hey, come on. So they got along pretty well. But the day came when he had to say, Timothy, I need you to go. When he wrote him there in Timothy, he said, I'm mindful of your tears. There were times when it was so hard in Timothy. Sometime look this up. Here's what he told him. He said, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, now watch, nor of me, his prisoner. They had been on Timothy trying to get him to be ashamed of Paul, his teacher, his mentor. And he said, don't fear, Timothy. Don't be afraid of aligning with Jesus Christ and don't be afraid of aligning with me. Because listen, as pastors, you're going to need people that will stand by you when you have to make the decisions. Remember we talked about a shepherd, right? Can you imagine a big flock of sheep? Take 50. And the shepherd goes out one morning and, he, and, he, and a sheep walks up to him. and says, hey, shepherd, we voted. We're going down there to eat today. He said, you're going to What? Yeah, we all decided we know what to do better than you do. After all, we're sheep. <laughs> and we've got a majority opinion. He said, yeah, but God told me to take you up there and feed you. Do y'all get this a little bit? You pastored. There's sometimes, God, your people need something that you're supposed to say. And they might not have asked for it. <laughs> okay. They might have said, oh, would you please rebuke me today and... Correct me about how I'm out there all right there by the world. Listen, so many times, young people, the world is just like that line back there where Brother Joe's sitting. And it's just right there. And 
The world's pulling you and pulling you and wanting to get you to do what? Just get across that line. Once they get you across the line, it's like a magnet. And it gets stronger and stronger. And it's the same thing with our churches. Pastor's talking here, Pastor Job, about you dear women. And there is a power God gave you that if not yielded to God, it can be so incredibly destructive. And yielded to God, it's probably the most powerful human power on the face of the earth. As wives, as mothers, as sisters to one another. And so much of that is about keeping in mind what we're really about. Sometimes as pastors, you have to make a decision and the sheep are bad and blah and all that. And you're like, come on, we're going this way. Trust me, later it'll be okay. (laughs) I guarantee you, brother, Pastor Job's done that. Had to make decisions and follow and you men have had to. And you will. I prophesy you will have to. Four words today. Take away with you. Maybe put them down to study with occasionally. A shepherd, soldier, soul winner, and a steward. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, Lord, today to help us. We pray thee, Father, you'd give us strength and wisdom and utterance. Lord, as this conference goes on, help these dear men to to grow close to each other and, and have bonds. And these dear sisters, too. Help Pastor Joe, Lord, give him wisdom and strength to continue to lead as the shepherd of the shepherds, Lord. We know why we're here. I know why these men are here. My Pastor Job, I know they're here to do your work. There's no fame in it. There's no reputation in it. There's no ambition here. But there is a great desire. A great desire to know you and to do your work till we leave this earth. Lord, anoint this conference, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.